This program is brought to you by Emory University. It's my pleasure and I'm delighted to introduce um, the Reverend Nadine Nasser to us on this um, occasion. I'm delighted that you are here um, with us. Um, Nadine Nasser is the director and co-founder of the Awareness Foundation and co-author of the Awareness uh, course. I'm sure he will have a few things to say about that particular program. He established the Awareness Foundation in the United Kingdom in 2003 with Bishop Michael Marshall in response to the growing need to study the Christian faith in the context of the 21st century, and particularly in relation to relations with people of other religious traditions. Nadim was born and raised in Latakia, is that right? In Syria. And is currently the only Syrian of Syrian birth priest in the Church of England. For, for six years, he was the senior chaplain to the universities and colleges of London, based at the London School of Economics. He lectured in different universities in London, including the American Intercontinental University, where he taught world religions. Which is based in Atlanta. Okay. And London <laughs> Guildhall University, where he developed the faith and citizenship uh, seminar. And he continues to teach modules in, in theology um, with the University of Chester, yes, mm -hmm. uh, which is a British um, university. Nadim studied at the Near East School of Theology between 1981 and 1988 during the Lebanese Civil War. Uh, this had a profound effect on him and on his faith. He became the editor of the Arabic hymnal for a year in Limassol, Cyprus, and then went to Latakia, Syria, to be the minister of the National Evangelical Church in Latakia, which is a member of the National Evangelical Synod in Syria and Lebanon. He stayed in Latakia for two years before he left to Germany to continue his theological education. Nadim is a member of the, what is the uh, Council of Churches in the UK, Churches Together in Britain and Ireland, and that body's Interfaith Theological Advisory Group. He's also a member of the All-Party Parliamentary Group on International Religious Freedom and advises the Foreign and Commonwealth Office. He lectures and speaks and teaches in the Middle East, in Europe, here in the United States, and leads diocesan conferences in the United Kingdom, in Hong Kong, and here in the U.S. Gives frequent public lectures for many organizations, including the Ismail Center and Christian Muslim Forum and Near Neighbors. He's a person who has contributed articles to British uh, newspapers, The Guardian, The Daily Telegraph, um, as well as The Tablet, and has been interviewed on BBC and uh, also 
by the Tony Blair Faith Foundation. Um, Nadim is also a priest. <laughs> a priest in the, the bottom line. Anglican Church. <laughs> and we are delighted that you are able to speak with us today on contemporary challenges that are faced by Christians in the Middle East, particularly Syria. Thank you very much, Manuel. Thank you, bless you. How on earth did you get all this information? <laughs> I thought nobody knew all that. <laughs> but I think the secret is my sister, who was his student in right. Birmingham. Right. Right. He was her supervisor. And you are greatly missed in Birmingham. <laughs> I see. Because uh, my sister changed. No, no. <laughs> well, I'm on a secret mission to, to, get, to get him back. <laughs> Thank you, Dean Love, for, for your invitation and Manuel. Thank you very much. It's a great pleasure to be here and, and talk to you. I know this is a time of semester where you are really very, very busy preparing for essays and, and, um, and exams. I know from my students, they have finished, just finished the first essay out of two. And when I go there, back to London, I need to give some attention to the essays they wrote. <laughs> um, and it was really a pleasure to design the course on um, dialogue. Um, and the, the course is called Christianity and Dialogue with Other Faiths. And I chose five other faiths to look at uh, Judaism, Islam, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Sikhism. And a lot of students didn't have a clue what Sikhism meant. Although in Birmingham, for example, there is a huge Sikh community. And um, the tension between religions is also plenty in uh, in the United Kingdom. Where shall we start? Let me give you a little bit of background which will help you understand the challenges today. <clears throat> I come from a mixed family, a diverse family. My mother is Orthodox, and more specifically Greek Orthodox. She's not Greek, but Syria is, has two main or major denominations, Christian denominations. One is called Greek Orthodox and one is called Syrian Orthodox. The Greek Orthodox is based on um, Greek liturgy and, and chanting the, the eight, the eight um, Tunes, Greek tunes, and the liturgy, and everything is is from a Hellenistic background, where we have the Syrian Orthodox, which is more Aramaic. So it has in the liturgy a lot of Aramaic, and and even the even the music is Aramaic music. Um, my mother is Greek Orthodox, and my father was Presbyterian in Syria. So, and not only Presbyterian, Scottish Presbyterian, more specifically, to make it more difficult for you. Because the, the Scottish came to, uh, to my hometown 
uh, in a wave of missionaries from, from Europe. And the Scots ended up in Latakia. And, uh, and after that, the American Presbyterians came in the 20th century and established the Presbyterian church we have today in Latakia. So I, I grew up one foot in the, in the Orthodox Church and one foot in the, in the Presbyterian Church. The Presbyterian Church would be, this hall would be more decorated than the Presbyterian <laughs> Church. I had a fight with the elders to bring, to bring the cross. Can you believe a cross in a church? I mean, it was, it was a blasphemy. And uh, uh, I assured them that the cross will be empty and simple, simple, just two, two <coughs> pieces of wood. And it was very hard work to bring the cross into the church, inside the church, because they believed this is heresy. And then the other battle I went through was to bring the organ. Are you kidding? Organ, music in the church? Uh, this is the worst. What, what next? Dancers in the church? They, they said to me. So, well, when I left Latakia, there was the cross there and the organ there. But it wasn't easy. Um, but when you go to the Orthodox church, the minute you enter the Orthodox church, you are faced with a festival of, of colors and incense and candles and icons and fantastic liturgy that nobody can deny because even the Presbyterians go at Easter to their churches or their (coughs) one church and they celebrate Easter and after two hours you see all of them in the Orthodox Church because the Easter uh, celebration in the Orthodox Church is really unmissable. It is absolutely fantastic and also the whole Holy Week is very, very vibrant, very powerful liturgy, powerful music, powerful hymns. Um, they, they do know how, how to do uh, Easter. And the, the Presbyterian Church would be deadly boring. And, and, and it's a one-man show, the, the minister uh, speaking. So I, I, I grew up in, in those two backgrounds. But I had my education in Lebanon, in Lebanon where the height of the civil war there between 81 and 88. And in Lebanon, the civil war was hell. I mean hell. Whatever you hear, whatever you, you, you uh, uh, read, whatever you see on TV about, about civil war, is nothing, my friends, nothing like being there for 60 seconds. 60 seconds. I was there when Beirut was divided into East and West Beirut. I was there in the Israeli invasion, 1982, when the Israeli army entered Beirut and entered the, uh, the presidential palace. I was inside Beirut. I was also there when the battleship New Jersey, the American battleship New Jersey, came to the Beirut, to Beirut coast and bombed Beirut. 
And I saw New Jersey with my own eyes, shelling Beirut. It was hell. It was absolutely hell. Because of that, I was praying that the United States and Britain would not go down that route of striking Syria. Because I knew out of experience, and I thought just repeating the history is, is, is madness. Not to be able to, to learn from, from history that such a strike would not bring a war into an end at all. It would increase the devastation, it would increase the casualties, it would increase the destruction of many communities, and it will delay, actually, the peace process. And even now, even now, after so many years, decades of the ending of the civil war, Lebanon is not in peace. Believe me, every day there are bombs and people, people killing each other and kidnapping each other and the roads are not safe in Lebanon. In the Middle East, we went through one of our darkest chapters in history, which is the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire especially the, late, the later part of the Ottoman Empire, crushed the church in, in the Middle East and imposed the Turkish language. And Christianity reached to its lowest presence in Syria, Lebanon, and the whole, the whole area. That was the toughest era for the Christians in the Middle East, when the Turks or the Ottomans were occupying the, the, whole, the whole area. Until the fall of the, Rome, the, the Ottoman Empire, when the British and the French marched in and divided the area. There was nothing called Jordan. Jo what was Jordan as theology students? I'm asking, and not a hypothetical, hypothetical question. What was Jordan? What do you think? A river. A river? Plus? A valley, where the river flew. That was Jordan. A river and a valley. And the British and the French created a kingdom called Jordan. Lebanon, what was the Lebanon? What was Lebanon? Even in the Bible. The cedars of Lebanon and the mountains of Lebanon. So the, 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 the word Lebanon was called the mountains, Lebanon, and the cedars of Lebanon. But there was nothing called the, the, the state of Lebanon. And, and Palestine was not a, a separate state. The whole area, even in the, in the, Roman, in the Roman Empire, when Jesus was born... Palestine was what? Was a satellite, according to the Roman Empire, a satellite of, of what? Of Syria. And if we, if we look at St. Luke's Gospel, and, and the, the narrative of St. Luke tells us a lot about, about that issue. Because he says, 
It was, I think Cornelius was the, the, the governor of, of who? When, when Jesus was born. Was the governor of? Syria. So why would he say somebody was the governor of Syria if, if Judea did not have anything to do with Syria? Right? I wouldn't say you were born in the, uh, in the reign of uh, the King Hussein in Jordan. It doesn't mean anything because you are in the United States. So when I want to give a reference, I would give a reference from your environment, from your own context. So the whole area was called Syria. And, and the people were, when they were uh, Roman citizens, citizens of the, of the culture, of, of the environment where they, where, where they lived. And that was... Very, that is very important because in the West, in the West, I'm still asked today in Europe, Father, when did you become Christian? And this is the most irritating question to me. Uh, when did you become Christian? And I say, I've been always Christian. Oh, really? Then your parents must became Christian. That far can, could, can they go? Not further than my, my, my parents. And I, I, I started thinking, what on earth is behind all that? Why am I asked, when, when did I become Christian? As if Christianity is imported to Syria. My friends, <laughs> uh, St. Paul became Christian on the road to Damascus. And Damascus is in Africa, I think. Um, uh, I, I, <laughs> we'll not give it. <laughs> and and so, sometimes, sometimes I feel, and I said that to the English people, especially to the English. I said, you think there is an English saying, I have had a road to Damascus experience. It's a saying. Yes. And I say, do you, do you think where Damascus is when you say it? No. For the English people, Damascus is like Camelot. <coughs> and and, and St. Uh, Paul is King Arthur. So the, 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 whole, the whole concept of Damascus as being the, 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 modern, the modern capital of Syria is not there. It's some, sometimes in the Bible time, Damascus was there, but the connection with the Damascus today is almost not there. So when I say, well, I've been always Christian, and, and my family goes back, I don't know how many generations, probably to St. Paul. Uh, Christianity, and, and then you see the horror on their faces. Uh, <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, really? Uh, Hello? <laughs> and still it is so difficult in the West to look at us as Christians in the Middle East and see us genuinely Christian without the conversion from Islam to Christianity. Why? Because the West looks at the East or the Middle East and the West sees 
Islam. And not only Islam. The West sees the worst picture of Islam. And I tell you, when the Middle East looks at the West, they see Christianity. And the worst model of Christianity. If the President of the United States says a word for the Middle East, Christ is talking on behalf of the whole, the West and Christianity, which is both images on, of each other, is profoundly wrong. After the troubles in Syria, I discovered sadly how invisible we, we, we are as Christians from, from Syria or from the Middle East. We are totally invisible. When people in the West do not know what, for example, the word Coptic mean. What does Coptic mean? What does the word mean? Yes, it's as basic as that. They say, do you have, do you have uh, Coptic Christians? If you know what Coptic means, you wouldn't ask even the question. <laughs> we don't have Egypt's, Egyptians in Syria. We don't. We are Syrians, not Egyptians. And the Coptic, the word Coptic, was not, was, had in the, in the past nothing to do with Christianity. The people of Egypt were called Copts. And when Islam came to Egypt, Islam brought the Arabic context with it. And there was the Arabs versus the Copts, the Egyptians. So when, when, when the Arabic culture, the Arabic context, plus Islam, the whole package took over Egypt. So they started calling the Christians the Copts. Because the Muslims, even the Egyptian Muslims, started calling themselves what? Arabs. So, and this is where the division started between Arabs, Muslims, and Copts, Christians. But the meaning is, is irrelevant. It doesn't reflect the, the historical facts at all. In Syria, we, Syria was 100% Christian for over 600 years to 700 years. Seven centuries before even Islam started. So what was the culture in Syria? The culture was diverse. From that time, Syria had a diverse culture. If you, if you take uh, uh, the history in, in, in Syria, before Christianity, it was also diverse. In the year 2000, my friends, Syria celebrated the 10th millennium of civilization. Not of existence, of civilization. And we are still call, uh, asked, when did you become Christian? And, and a lady at Holy Trinity said to me once, she couldn't cope with, with the whole thing. She said, uh, Father, are you a Muslim clergy? I said, lady, I, am, I just gave you the Holy Communion. Uh, does that 
you know, is that enough to make me a Christian? I, I said, do I need to swear that I am a Christian clergy? She couldn't cope. She, it's very difficult, very difficult. So in what happened when, when the British and the French divided? And it's very interesting. May I use this? If you look at the map of the Middle East, you would be absolutely surprised. Because in 1916, two gentlemen, two individuals, divided the Middle East. Mr. Sykes and Monsieur Picot, a French and English, English gentleman, divided the Middle East over an English high tea. A little bit more official than what you are having now. Um, they had tea in a, uh, um, a hotel in uh, central London, in Knightsbridge. I'm sure you know Knightsbridge, Manuel. So they sat and they divided the area. And I want to give you an idea how cruel was the division. Let me see. Does it mean anything to you? No. So, what is here? Pretty close. <laughs> Pretty close. <laughs> what is this? Mediterranean. Mediterranean. What is this? Israel Palestine. No, Lebanon. Oh, it's Lebanon. This is Israel Palestine. And this? Jordan. And this? Iraq. And here what? Iran and this? Syria. If you look at, this is the new Middle East, is straight lines. They didn't, they didn't bother. They took and they started with a ruler dividing the area into Jordan, Iraq, Syria, Lebanon, and Palestine. I, I, I really recommend a new book called Line in the Sand, a new book which talks about the Sykes-Picot Agreement and how the areas of, of Sykes-Picot, which will not go into details, but the end of Sykes-Picot and the end of the international uh, uh, implementation of Sykes-Picot, we have the Middle East what we have today. And, and after that, um, the whole area was under the British and the French mandates. So, the French took this. Syria and Lebanon. And the British took this. And that was the division. So, because of that, I couldn't have been Anglican. Because the French supported the Roman Catholic Church. Right. Where the English brought the Anglican Church to this here. Because of that, we even now, we have the Anglican Church or the Episcopalian Church in Jordan and in Palestine. And we have one single congregation in Lebanon, in Beirut which is 100% Palestinians. It, it has nothing to do with Lebanon. 
And I come from here. This is Latakia. This is the coast. But the French and the English rewarded Turkey for Turkey not fighting pro-Germany. And they gave Turkey this part. Which, is, which includes a very important city for Christians called... No, Istanbul is here. Very important theological... Antioch, the city of Antioch, where Christians were called first Christians, according to the Acts of the Apostles. So the Christians were called Christians in Antioch. And my mother was born in Antioch. And her family was pushed down to Latakia as refugees when they gave it, gave it to Turkey. Because of that, the people in this part of Turkey, they still speak Arabic. And I met part of my mother's family in Germany. Armin is, is German. And I, I, I didn't know about them. So I, I met cousins for the first time from Antioch in Germany. So when, when the French and the English withdrew, the whole area was completely different. That was the Belfour promise where Israel was, was created 1948. 1948. And, and, and the, the, the king Hussein was the, the king of Jordan. And there was even Syria was at, at one time kingdom under the king Faisal. And Iraq was a kingdom, and everything was divided. And after even the independence of these countries, the mandates were replaced by dictatorships. In 1960s in Syria, we taught the world what it means to have a coup d'etat. A military coups. We had about 10, 12 <coughs> military coups d'etat in one decade. Until 1970, when the, the father of the, pre, the president we have today took over by a coup and, and, and assumed the power in Syria, Assad. Assad, but the father of, of our president now. And Jamal Abdul Nasser, you, you remember yeah. the word Nasser, was the president of Egypt. And Jordan had King Hussein. And then later, Iraq was moved from uh, Ahmed Hassan al-Bakr, who was uh, also totalitarian um, president, to Saddam Hussein. So the whole area was under dictatorship. The only the only country which was not under dictatorship was Lebanon. Um, theoretically not under dictatorship, but it was very sectarian. And politics 
dressed as religious conflict and tore the, the, the country apart for about 17 years in Lebanon. So this is, this is where, where, where we have. Christianity was reduced to about 20% in Syria. And every, every year, Christianity was decreasing in Syria. In the 80s, something happened which shook the church in Syria when Sweden and Norway, don't ask me why because I don't know, why on earth Norway and Sweden would open the visa and the immigration opportunities to 300,000 Syrian Christians from this part of Syria, from the East Syria. They left, simply left, in, 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 within a matter of, of 10 years, 12, 12 years. Now you go to Sweden, you go to villages, and you hear a Syrian, you don't hear Swedish. Because they still speak at home Aramaic, the language of, of our Lord. So the dictatorships pushed their weight very heavy in those countries. And dictatorship means oppression. And dictatorship means the most awful thing about dictatorships is corruption. The country I'm talking about now, Syria, of course it, it, it's applicable to all the, the region, the corruption went to the bones of the society. Everything was corrupt. If you want a signature on a paper, a signature on a paper, you had to pay bribery in order for a normal employee to put his signature or her signature on the paper. So the pressure mounted in Syria, and especially at the doorstep, we, have, we had the, the, the Lebanese civil war. And after that, the Iraqi war started. Millions of Iraqis poured into Syria. At one time, we had two million Iraqis in Syria. In Iraq, 90% of Christianity is lost. 90% of, of Christianity in Iraq disappeared. And now Syria is facing the same, the same destiny. The whole area of the Middle East is bleeding Christians. We are leaving by thousands. And we are being killed in Syria. In Syria, we, were, we have not been persecuted because of our faith until now for a thousand years. And now we are being killed and tortured just because we are Christians. Not, not because of any political reason. Priests are being slaughtered, uh, uh, churches are being burned down to ashes, um, uh, bishops are being 
dragged to the to the to the squares of of the towns and killed and beheaded um, in the name of Islam, in the name of that they want to bring back the Khalifa. Jihadists and Islamists are pouring into Syria from all over the world. We have Chechnyans in Syria fighting for Islam. We have Chinese Muslims. We have European Muslims from from UK, from France, from Germany. You name it. From all over the world. Coming to Syria to bring the Islamic State. And in the name of that Islamic State, we are being persecuted. Thousands of jihadists poured into Syria from from all over the place, from Lebanon, from Iraq, from from Turkey. And and they they have the upper hand now in many parts of Syria. Killing and burning and shooting and torturing, you name it, kidnapping. The, the challenges are enormous at the moment. But finally, I want to highlight three things. The first thing, the destiny of Christianity in the Middle East is linked inseparably with the destiny of Islam. Wherever Islam goes will affect Christianity to the essence. If Islam goes into the road of fanaticism and Muslim Brotherhood or all the Khalifa or all this, if they have the control over the whole country, Syria, then that will reflect on the, 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 uh, the destiny of Christians. Whatever happens to Islam in that area, you will see the reflection on what happens to Christianity there. The second thing is our destiny is linked between uh, or or affected by the relationships between the Middle East and the West. The politics of the West affect directly our existence. Because even in the Middle East, a lot of Muslims see us as implanted in the Middle East from the West. We are Western agents. So we are in a lose-lose situation. The Westerns think that we are invisible and, and, and we are converts from Islam. And the Muslims think we are the agents of the West. I remember a patriarch uh, last month, we were together at the House of Lords in, in England. And he said, I don't know at the moment who would win in, uh, uh, in Syria. But I definitely know who is losing. The Christians. Who's ever losing, w- winning, we are losing. Because the West, the, we ca- the West cares about us the least. We are not even on the agenda. We are not even visible to the politicians in the West as Christians. And everything you, you, you hear or, or you read, 
that any politician who, who goes out and says they are interested in the, in the destiny or the, what happens to the Christians in the, in, the, in the Middle East, don't take that seriously. Because in the deals, on the ground, in the closed doors, we are invisible. And the third thing, what also forms our destiny is our ecumenical relationships. The relationships between the denominations in the Middle East, which was not very, very good. One blessing out of, of the whole civil war in Lebanon and the war in, in, in Syria, one positive thing, the Christians came closer together. You know when you are under pressure, when you are burning down, you stick together. And that is, there are uh, groups, ecumenical groups, trying to find their ways to help not only Christians, to help any people who need help in Syria. And we as, as Awareness Foundation, we are in touch with these groups and we're trying to help them as much as we can. But the, the, the resources are scarce. The resources are so difficult to get. Unbelievably difficult. We are an educational foundation. And we are trying to support from 10 years ago when, when the Awareness Foundation was established. We decided that one of our objectives is to support the Christian presence in the Middle East. To support the Christian identity in the Middle East. But it's not easy. It's not easy at all. And the obstacles are huge, huge. But for 10 years we have done a lot to help Christians there. And finally I would say, if you forget everything I said today, I don't want you to forget this sentence I'm going to tell you. If Christianity left the Middle East, Islam will have proven that it is an intolerant religion and a religion which cannot live with the other, with the different other. And such an image of Islam, neither the Christians nor the Muslims in the Middle East want to give to the world. But unfortunately, the silent majority of the Muslims are not doing enough to support us. When I was interviewed on one of the Islamic channel, the, the moderator said, Father, you have the camera. What, do you have, what message do you have for, for our audience? I turned to the camera and I said, brothers and sisters in humanity and brothers and sisters in God, we claim, we worship the same God, do we? For a pathetic film on YouTube with a low budget, a pathetic film that only 10 people saw before the advert you did, for, you, you, you had for, for the film, millions of you went to the streets, millions. 
to protest against this pathetic low-budget silly film about Islam. When the cartoons, you remember, the Danish cartoons, millions of you went to the streets. You could be a power. But what about us being killed in the Middle East every day? Aren't our lives worth moving to the streets and saying, not in our names? If you are a true Muslim and our lives matter to you, why are you silent? Why are you not doing anything? And I left that message with them. And with you, I leave the message. If Christianity left the Middle East, Islam would have proven to the world that it is an intolerant religion and a religion that cannot live with a different other. And such an image, neither the Christians nor the Muslims want for Islam. Thank you for having me. Questions? Please. I mean, um, resisting despair after your presentation about the situation in the Middle East. Um, I mean, you talked about so many complexities, and one of the complexities you touched on is the curious ways that religious uh, traditions do and do not map onto certain political alliances today. And so, for example, could you say something today about the, the difficult situation that Syrian Christians are in in that Assad, for all of the evil that the that regime did, did at least to some degree protected the space for Syrian Christians in Syria. And now that things are falling apart for Assad, right? Uh, you know, one of the the problems that the Islamic world is bringing uh, to bear here, and, it's, and it doesn't make sense to most people in the West. Who only get this fed through certain, you know, uh, news channels that are Western news course, channels, so, yeah. which never deals with complexity. You know, just never deals with complexity. But that's a problem. It's a, that is a kind of a public relations on a world scale problem for the Christians in Syria, as well as on the ground. It seems to me. But can you speak about that? I mean, is, is that just a between a rock and a hard place? I mean, is it an unsolvable problem? You know, what would you suggest as a way forward? Thank you very much for this uh, question. I tell you, the media is unfair. And, and we're not go- going into that. Uh, the media has agendas. Yep. And we know that. Um, yes, in, in all the corruption and all the, uh, um, the horrible consequences of having a dictator on, on, on the chair, we were free to worship. <clears throat> We were not persecuted in any way. Um, We were a minority, but a minority only in number. You know, we always say we are a minority, but in number. But but in fact, we are, before before Islam, we are a genuine part of the the fabrics of the society in Syria. Um, Religions were living together harmoniously and peacefully in Syria. If you did go to Syria before the troubles, you would see 
There's nothing. Safety. Nothing going on. People are, are going on with their lives and, and living together. And on a certain degree, that was, that was the truth. One thing, I challenge that. And I ask all the Syrians, were we living together in harmony because we were under the pressure of the dictator? You know this, this uh, uh, you know, pressure pots? You, you, cookers? Pressure cookers? I've, I feel the Middle East was like this. Syria was a pressure cooker. If you had the glimpse inside the cooker when the pressure was, was there, you see everything is harmonious, cooked. But my question is, what happens when you open, when you lift the lid? Would everything stay harmony, harmonious? So the question is, in the time of, of a dictator, we had to live together because there was no other choice. By imposed on us. Today, when the lid is out, is off, can we take a free decision to live together? Not because of the pressure, but because we want to. And the, the difference is enormous. And I say, yes, we were worshipping freely, but should we bow to the dictator just for the sake of having the, the little advantage of, of worshipping freely? Don't we need... I mean, isn't that our, our, our basic right to, to worship? Why should, be, why should I be grateful to anybody to have my right to worship in my church freely? I don't have any, any, any um, gratefulness to give for the dictatorship that I worship freely. But, I say, after the dictator goes, now the question for the Muslims, would you allow me to worship freely? It's to be seen. I don't know what will happen. But yes, it, it, was, it was harmonious. It was uh, people lived together. And we, we, we coexisted very peacefully. But now, no. Do you see the possibility of a, of a secular government? And, I, and I'm, I use that word, sort of technically, I don't know what it means. Secular in the sense of hostile to religion. But I mean no, no. In the sense of mediating no. the various religious differences. What we, what we mean by, 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 by secular, what we want to mean, is as simple as separate between the state and religion. Right. Because Syria has so many minorities. And all of the minorities in Syria are genuine to the fabrics of the society. The Druze, for example. The Druze is a, is a big community. And, and as genuine as the, the, the Christians or the Muslims. They, they even led Syria to the independence from, from, uh, from the French. Bashal Atrash, uh, the, 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 the leader of the... Uh, uh, Syrian revolution against the uh, the French was was Druze. We can't we can't forget history that easily. We have Armenians, we have Kurds, we have Ismailis, we have Alawites. The Alawites are are the hub of the Alawite is the coast of Syria. The president is Alawite. 
The president belongs to a minority in Syria. Um, it, it seems to me that uh, both historically, globally, and in terms of uh, religious life, uh, one of the, the, the worst consequences of what we're witnessing in the world today, including in Syria, you're alluding to uh, what was there before in terms of Muslim-Christian relations. I think one of the worst consequences is that it seems as if a, a, a new generation is growing up around the world that is not afforded any sense that it is possible Christians and Muslims to live in the same place to so peacefully, harmoniously. Uh, in a, I mean, I come from Syria, it's a predominantly Muslim country, mm -hmm. and um, I grew up among Muslims. Of course, and, I did too. And Salon has had a long history yeah. of this. And, and uh, so I think that image is being so deeply subverted uh, in the media. In, in, and uh, so, but let me, let me ask, let me, so let me use that as a base of pointing to the context you are now in, in, in Britain or in, in Europe. Mm -hmm. uh, when, I, when I gave a public lecture at, at, at Oxford, the students there, had no idea of the British role in the Middle East. No. They could not explain why there are so many Muslim immigrants in the, in the UK. And many of these are being trained for the church. Um, and and at one point I had to make the observation that um, Islam is not contagious. In other words, living in close proximity to a Muslim He's not going to do something to you. <laughs> no, no. Uh, and and so, so, so my question is this, uh, how is that problem being perpetuated? Uh, even in Europe itself, and uh, that uh, uh, the recent surveys show that only a very tiny minority of European Christians know a Muslim in, in terms of, or have a personal relationship. That's with, true. With, yeah, so, so in your foundation, is it something that captures your attention that if it doesn't change, you know, right. uh, this alienation, this this demonization of it's the world, these trends that, I, 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 by the way, I'm talking about the young people, I'm talking about, there's yes. a, because there's a youth factor, even in um, um, uh, Muslims fighting, going to Syria to fight, it is a youth factor. The parliament in Egypt, there's a youth dimension. Absolutely. And, and this generation of youths around the world, with all the, the, the pathologies they're living through. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that one element mm -hmm. that, that is lacking, that the idea you can live, uh, just live in the same place uh, uh, with others, it's, it's, it's being drained. And, and I just wondered whether you could address that, speak to that, as something that really needs serious attention. Thank you very much. That's absolutely true. What you, what, you, what you said is absolutely true. One factor we need to look at very carefully is that Islam in itself is fragmented. <clears throat> Once I said to one of the uh, BBC journalists, I said, um, the Third World War has already started. And he looked at me and his jaw dropped. And I said, it's the, the Sunni-Shia war. This, the Sunni-Shia conflict is engulfing the whole world of, of alliances. It is, look, look, what is happening in, in the Middle East is simply a conflict between Iran and Saudi Arabia. Iran 
representing the Shia. Saudi Arabia is representing a, not the Sunni, a one strand of the Sunni, which is the Wahhabi. So, but acting, acting as if they, are, they, they talk for, for the whole Sunni. But they don't. And this Sunni-Shia conflict, <clears throat> whether it is violent, really, you know, killing and, and look at in Beirut. I was in Beirut last month when the big explosion in Dahiyah uh, um, ripped a street, uh, uh, just an innocent street. I went there and I, I was next to the hole of, of, the, of the explosion. And I looked, just a street. And a Sunni uh, um, group was responsible for killing so many Shia. Two, two, two uh, three days later, two mosques, Sunni mosques, were in flames in an explosion, two explosions in, Alep, in um, uh, Tripoli. So this dimension, Sunni-Shia dimension, is religious, political, and social. And that is very, very visible in, in England. I'm in touch with them. I know them. I'm very close to the Shia. I'm uh, on, on different Shia channels. Go to the internet and you see me talking to so many Shia channels. But <clears throat> this conflict in Islam, we can't, we can't solve. It, it is, it is um, 100 and, and, and uh, 1,500 years old. And, and, and the, the, the division is so deep between, between Shia and Sunni. They, it, the, the problems won't miraculously uh, get solved on, on their own. Because they are on every level in the society. On every level. The Sunni are calling the Shia kuffar, which means blasphemers, and the, and the, the, the Shia calling the, 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 the Sunni uh, kuffar, and, and, and they are, you know, exchanging the, the, the violence, the, the uh, uh, kidnapping, the killing, um, it's on every level, especially the media level, especially the media level. I have about 15 to 20 Islamic channels on my TV, but in Arabic. And you see every day the war between Sunni and Shia on TV. That reflects also in the society. <clears throat> but I, 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 I find it extremely complicated to, to see ourselves <clears throat> as a Christian being in the middle of this, this huge conflict in, within Islam. One thing we, 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 we have to admit, we have to admit, Islam never went through reformation. Where, where, when was the reformation in Islam? Islam never went through the Renaissance. Islam never went through the Enlightenment. Three huge movements reshaped Christianity forever. I'm not saying Islam should go through this, but nothing even similar. <clears throat> because of that, uh, Islam, religion, I believe, is like a human being. Goes through 
growing stages from infancy to childhood to adolescence to um, adult life. And Islam now is in the adolescence. You know when, when all the hormones are, are, are up and you feel you are the strongest man in the world and you can change the world and you take over the world. Islam is on that level when Christianity was in the Middle Ages. Christianity in the Middle Ages felt the same. Wars and crusades and we would take the world. I, I, would, I wouldn't want to necessarily wish that trajectory of Christianity on on on, Muslim, on, 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 on the Islamic faith, but that that is because I mean, Christianity we had our own right. of course of wars. Oh, but but my point though is, and I know other people want to jump in. My point though is that we're 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 suffering a bankruptcy of the imagination. I think I think so. What I was saying. Uh, in the UK, Muslim communities are segreg- almost seg- heavily segregated. They are, they yes. are, they are, they are uh, so, so in other words, uh, that, that sense that I could live, I mean, I, I could share the same space, I could uh, uh, engage in the same things, uh, your word, uh, as ordinary human beings living together, uh, it's, it's, ab- it, you know, it's, it's absent. And I'm saying that without any such of a memory being created, I'm not sure that we're looking to a future where you know uh, the reconciliation and the and the uh, the kind of transformation we we're looking for uh, is going to happen. I mean, yes, I mean, division between Islam, you're quite right. But I'm, I'm talking. I'm talking about Islam. But we have also our problems <laughs> as as a church and Christians in in Europe. Christianity is declining in Europe, and uh, our um, the factor which is affecting Christianity is not Islam. Is aggressive secularism, atheistic secularism, trying to play the role of of don't do that because you are offending other faiths. You go to don't do that because you are offending. This is now we are living in in, in Europe or especially in in uh, in England in this incredible lie of if you open your mouth, you are offending someone. Whatever you say, you are afraid to offend anybody. Whether you are a racist, Islamophobe, homophobe, you, immediately a label is ready to, be, to, be, to stick on you. And, and a lot of, of my talks I say, in the very beginning, I said, I am here politically incorrect. Has anyone have any problem? I am in politically incorrect because political correctness in Europe has gone mad, completely mad. From, from Christmas to Easter to Eid to, uh, and these divisions and, and, and I believe all that comes from a very sick atheistic secularism attacking religion. We, all, we, we are all secular in, in a sense of Christianity is secular now. I'm a priest and a secular person. I don't believe in the combination of, uh, of state and religion. So secularism doesn't have to be against religion. It doesn't have to be. <clears throat> but in, in, in Europe, it is against religion. In, in, in the US, it's not. It's becoming, but it's not. It's much better than, than uh, you, at least in, in the United States, you are not 
ashamed or shy of being Christian and go to church. One of, 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 my, of my, the churches I was talking to, um, a, 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 a family said, thank you, Father, but you know, for, for the last two years, we have a Muslim neighbors, and every Sunday, we tell them that we are going shopping, but actually we are going to church. <laughs> they, they can't even tell their neighbors that they are going to church. They are going shopping. And then they sent me an email saying, thank you for helping us. We finally talked to our Muslim neighbors and told them that on, on Sunday, there, was, there is no shopping. We go to church, actually. And they were so happy to hear that. They didn't judge us because we, we go to church. They were happy that we go to church. So sometimes within Christianity, we exaggerate how other faiths would react to us. But actually, just live, live your faith. Yes. Because of that, we created, for example, a, 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 in, at the Awareness Foundation, we created a workshop. It's called, I, I, I just gave Manuel uh, a copy. It's called Speak Out. <coughs> just helping Christians to open up and speak out about their faith without fear and without compromise. Christians in Europe are the quickest to compromise their faith in the public. The quickest. In order to keep the peace, as the English say. Well, I don't want to, to create war, but at the same time, don't ask me to suppress my faith. Just not because you don't like it. Tough. You don't like it? Tough. And that's what the Muslims said to the English society. The, English, the Muslims said to the English society, you don't like religion in the public space? Tough. We do. We do. They, 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 they made all the Christian uh, companies, or the schools, or the universities, all the, even in the airport, everywhere to create uh, spaces for them to pray. You, don't, you, you want to practice your, 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 your Christianity only in the church, and you are ashamed of it? It's your problem. We don't, we don't do that. We don't do that. The, thanks to the Muslims, they are reminding the Christians in, in all Europe that faith belongs to the public place. Faith is personal, not private. I do not believe in a private faith. I believe in a personal faith. But if my faith does not form a part of my identity, what kind of faith is that? Sorry, I was just going to ask, how's it going among the Christians? Because, um, Where? In Europe or in, in the Middle East? No, in the Middle East. In the Middle East Council of Churches, yes. and other efforts to uh, help bridge the division across Christians. Because the situation that you described with Muslims having never gone through the Enlightenment or Reformation could also be said of Orthodox Christians. Yes. And so some of the deep division between Orthodox and Anglicans or Protestants um, is 
sometimes it seems to me as tough as the divisions between Christians. Oh and yes, Muslims. absolutely. But under these horrific circumstances that you're describing, is there any hope um, that is bringing Christians together at all? I mean, are they? I know Middle East Council churches must be really weak. At this very point. weak. Yeah. Very weak. Uh, now uh, the churches are are working together. Uh, on on city to city basis, uh-huh. so I well, uh, my sister is is one of the organizers of the uh, ecumenical groups in Latakia. So people from all churches in Latakia are coming together to help fifty thousand refugees yeah. in in Latakia from other from other uh, cities in, in Syria, because there are, we, have, we have refugees within Syria, inside the country. So in Aleppo, they're trying to, to which is much more difficult in Aleppo, or Homs, or, or Damascus. But, but it is bringing, uh, but not through big organizations. There is the, the, the Protestant fellowship, yes. um, uh, which is very active. Um, Rose Angela Jarjour and and they are working beautifully, but from Lebanon, from Lebanon. And there is also the Middle East Council of Churches, uh, Reverend Habib Bader, who is our chairman in the Middle East for the Awareness Foundation. Um, He is trying to, with another uh, Bulos Matar bishop, uh, Maronite bishop, they're trying to revive the 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 uh, WCC, but it's not easy. In 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 what? What Egypt is going through, what Syria is going through, what Iraq is not going through, it's very difficult. Very difficult. Yeah. <coughs> my, the, the, my, my question was uh, if you would tell us a little bit more about what the Awareness Foundation does in terms of um, interfaith, inter, inter, inter interreligious um, com- programs and, and, and conversations. We have, we have four programs, Manuel. Uh, we have one program, which is, which is the awareness course, which has four modules. And we have the awareness forum, which is a, a, a very diverse activities with other faiths and with other Christians in order to raise the awareness of the people to how to live our faith in the 21st century. And we have now a priority to one of our priorities to, to support the Middle East Christians here. But as we, I'm talking in, a, in an academic uh, uh, institution, which is a, a wonderful institution, um, we developed four programs within the awareness course. One program I told you is the, 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 um, the workshop, which is one day. You can have it in your church or wherever you like. We have another program called the Diversity Code, which is a biblical program. It's a Bible case study, not a Bible study, a Bible case study. Because there is a problem in, 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 in our world today. We think that diversity is, is the phenomenon of the 21st century. But actually, no. The world was always diverse, and especially the Middle East. Jesus lived in an incredibly diverse society. And we are asking a simple question. What does the Bible teach us about diversity? So we're taking case studies from the Bible and looking at the richness of the Bible concerning dealing with diversity. 
And that is eight sessions, which is, if, if you take it once a week, is two months. We have another uh, course, which is five sessions, and I gave you one uh, copy, which is Living in a Global Village. We're talking about how do we, as Christians, live in a global village? In, the, in, in secularism, fundamentalism, um, um, all kinds of, of uh, communication in the, in the advanced communication, advanced transportation, demographic changes in the world. We as Christians, do we have a role? How, how can we live in, in the middle of all uh, this and changing world? And the last one is called Citizens of Two Kingdoms, which asks the question, how do we belong to the, to the kingdom of God, but at the same time living in our societies and being effective where we are? So these are the four, the four uh, programs we have on the educational level. One, one Muslim channel came to us and said, we love the citizens of two kingdoms. Can we turn this course into a, a TV show? And we respect every session. And the eight sessions became <coughs> 16 shows on an Iranian TV. And it was one of our best achievements with interfaith uh, work. We worked together to turn one of our courses into a TV show. One, uh, it would be a, a, a show of a moderator with one guest from the Awareness Foundation and one guest from the, the, the community, their community, a Muslim community. And we will talk about, we will take every session and talk about it on TV. And it was absolutely wonderful, wonderful. So we had roundtable discussions, um, inviting bishops, inviting imams, inviting rabbis. We, we, we have different, different activities uh, in, in London, which has been a 10 year of, of wonderful work. We are celebrating our 10th anniversary this year. Yes? Well, you mentioned that this is a loose, loose situation. Yes. Um, and the killing in prisons is, you know, comes from everywhere. Mm. Uh, could you tell us uh, maybe one or two stories, uh, typical stories of mm. killing situations? Yes, of course. One of my best friends is a bishop, Bishop of Aleppo. Aleppo is here. But that bishop is from Latakia originally. We grew up together. And he is now kidnapped. The two bishops, do you, have you heard of yeah. the kidnapping of the two bishops? One of them is a friend of mine, a personal friend of mine. We were Skyping two, three days before he was kidnapped from Turkey. He was visiting a parish in Turkey when we were Skyping. Um, both he, Greek Orthodox, and the Syrian Orthodox, the biggest two, two uh, denominations were kidnapped and still missing. We don't know where they are. Last week, we have, we have a, a, a town uh, called Sadad. It's, it's near, near Damascus. And, and Sadad was, was devastated. 
a Christian, they speak, the, 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 the people speak Aramaic. Uh, 30, 40 people were slaughtered there. Clergy, everybody. They burned the, the church. And, and there is also a... a uh, by, Muslims. by Muslims. But not, let, let me correct that. Not only by Muslims, by those jihadists, specifically. And, and one, one village, which is near Latakia, where I served as a student of theology, in, in summer, every summer, we, we were placed in, in churches to serve for the summer. I'm sure you have also some, something contextual education. So, and I was placed a couple of years in that, in summer, in that village. It's lovely people, and, and I, I have many friends there. Now it is a ghost uh, village. It's a totally Christian. The, 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 the priest, the, the Catholic priest, was dragged to the, to the square and beheaded. We're talking about atrocities from, I mean, the dirtiest things in you, in, you can ever imagine against, against uh, uh, Christians. Who, who claims to know would not telling the truth because we really don't know. Because the, the news from, from inside Syria is not easy. And there, there, there could be some in the middle of Damascus, which is okay at the moment. Uh, bombs and missiles fall like, like rain, but it's, it's, there is no street to street and, and, and alley to alley fighting in Damascus. Not yet, but, but in the, Damascus could have some, I don't know, but it's very difficult to, to, to know. And, and the, 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 the Italian priest is missing, who was act, very active in, in, in Syria and near, near Aleppo. And yesterday I heard the most, the saddest news of, of uh, Aleppo's uh, historical church of Simon Stylites that they attacked that area, but I don't know the damage. But if, if that area was, was damaged, it's, it's a loss of the world. I mean, don't forget, Syria has the, 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 the oldest Christian uh, places in the world. And, and we are losing, we are also bleeding artifacts. Yesterday there was a, a documentary on, on the thousands of artifacts being smuggled out of Syria. It's a, it's a loss. It's a, that's, the, that's the question. <laughs> by, 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 by professional smugglers. Yes, they pay their way out and in and out. In this area of Syria is unbelievably uh, rich culturally. If you dig, they say, if you dig anywhere, wherever you are, just dig, you'll find things f- from B.C. I mean, unbelievable. Every, every hill is a, is a, is a, is a town, a, an ancient town. In, in Latakia, you know, Latakia has given the world the first alphabet in history, which is Ugarit. Ugarit is the... Is the 
the first ever alphabet in history, which is not pictures, it's not pictorial, it's, it's, it's um, what, what the, in, in English called the cuneiform. The cuneiform is, is that, uh, that shape. For example, this is a letter. This is a letter. All the letters are composed of, of triangles. And every triangle, uh, we, call, we call it uh, in, in Arabic, al-mismariya, which means the nail language. You see, it's like a nail. So you, you call it cuneiform, we call it the nail language. And every letter is a combination of of nails, very clever, and and that that was discovered in 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 Ugarit and near Aleppo. And my brother-in-law is from Aleppo. Um, they discovered Ebla. Ebla is a whole civilization. Was discovered how they discovered the palace first. And they discovered that, they noticed that the palace was destroyed by fire. And they went under the palace and they discovered a library. And this library was burned down completely. But thank God it was burned down. Because the tablets were baked in the fire. And it was up to 95% intact. The whole library. And now there is an Ebla, uh, uh, like monthly uh, magazine, because they are still translating the, the literature of, of Ebla. It's unbelievable uh, civilization. They had in Ebla agree, uh, economical, economic agree, agreements with the, with the pharaohs in Egypt. And unfortunately, when you hear a Saudi uh, a mufti giving a fatwa, you know what fatwa is? Mm-hmm. Uh, a statement that all Christian places should be destroyed in the Middle East. On that level, a mufti is unacceptable. I'm sorry, it's unacceptable. Whatever your religion is, you can't say that. The, the whole culture is under enormous threat. Enormous. The, the oldest churches in the world, the oldest icons in the world, even the icon of St. Luke, which was written by St. Luke, is near Damascus, in Malula and in Sidnaya. And Malula was one of the Christian uh, villages that was attacked. We're going on and on. I'm conscious about the time. <laughs> yes. Before you leave, Father, are you going to give an altar call? I mean, what do you want us to do? What should we do to respond to this? I mean, you've got a group of people here. What can we do? That's a very good question. First of all, we need, we are working really hard, really hard, day and night. But the resources are, are very, very, very scarce. 
In, 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 in Europe, it's even more difficult. Because once they know that we are a Christian foundation, they don't give us money. If we were an interfaith organization, we would have had money. But I insist that the, the Awareness Foundation would remain a Christian foundation and the hands are outstretched to the Muslims and to all other religions. But from a Christian standpoint, because interfaith work, I'm sure Manuel knows better than me, it has become like a, a buzz thing in England. And I, I always say the, the interfaith centers became like popcorn in England. <laughs> they, they Really, I mean, every month a new center, an interfaith center pops up. Why? Because there is money. And they close after a couple of years. Because of that, we say no. We want to, to, to be rooted in the Christian tradition, but at the same time open to other, other faiths to work together for a better world. We need resources. We really do. We, we desperately need resources. We need partnerships. I mean, a partnership with Emery would, would, would give us a huge boost to, for our programs, for our connections, um, for everything. We, we, can, we can speak, we, we have a voice through, through an organization, an, an, an excellent uh, institution, academic institution like Emory. We need voices, we need resources, we need partnerships. One thing I always say, silent, silence is, cannot be anymore an option, cannot be an option. Anybody who is silent is part, t- taking part in what is, what is happening. You are taking part, whether you like it or whether you don't. Sorry. You are. It's not a choice. You are studying theology. You are, you are, you are preparing yourself to be on the level of leadership. When you are a leader, you are responsible. And this man is very responsible. Because the, the, the pastoral theology is, is, is essential for partnership with people like us. Everybody can do something. Thank you for the question. It's, it's, we would be delighted and honored to, 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 to work together. And don't, don't uh, think London is too far. <laughs> Thank you so much for your hospitality, generosity. The preceding program is copyrighted by Emory University.